Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Hey guys, and welcome back to the Dream Bigger podcast. So, I know a lot of you listening are creatives who either have a blog or want to start one. I get a lot of questions from you about the world of content creation, whether it be how to start a blog or questions about signing with management. So today, I brought in an expert to do a really deep dive into the world of content creators. And I say content creators because I hate the word influencer. It's just so overused. But first, I do want to ask you to please, please leave the podcast a review if you haven't yet. Subscriptions and reviews are what show iTunes that you're enjoying the show and really helps me bring on amazing guests who bring you a lot of value. Becca Alexander is the founder of Socialite, one of the top influencer management agencies in the world. If you have no idea what an influencer management agency, it's a talent agency that represents content creators and connect them with brands for partnerships. We get into the whole thing in today's episode. Influencer marketing is projected to be worth upwards of $5 billion by 2020, and Becca was on the pulse back in 2011 when it was hardly even a thing. We do a deep dive into the world of content creation, so whether you already are a content creator looking to become one or are just curious, this episode is for you. So with that, let's say hello to Becca Alexander. Okay, so to start, tell me about your background and how you got involved in the influencer space. Of course. Uh, so I actually went to school for fine art. Mm-hmm. Um, I have a degree in painting, which okay. I clearly didn't do anything with, <laughs> but maybe one day. Um, I then went back to school for fashion design because mm-hmm. I was like, how do I mix my painting you know, degree with something tangible that I can get a job in? Right. Went to school for fashion design, learned everything from fashion, fashion history to pattern making, mm-hmm. decided that I cannot stand the sound of a sewing machine, <laughs> which was fun, but I was really interested in the business um, sort of aspects that I was learning in school. So mm-hmm. marketing um, or anything like behind the scenes. Mm-hmm. I had a class in fashion show production and I was like, this is really cool. Maybe I can, you know, one day kind of become a fashion show producer. Right. Like the dream was like work for Chanel mm-hmm. you know, or something like that and help produce fashion shows. So after that, I actually got a job at Saks Fifth Avenue doing window displays mm-hmm. Then became a personal shopper, which was super fun because obviously shopping with other people's money is way better than shopping with, with your, your own, own money. money. Yeah. Duh. 
And then I was like, okay, I, I need something else to do because I'm obviously not going to work retail for the rest of my life. Mm-hmm. So I wanted to move to New York. My parents were like, we'll only support you moving to New York if you either go back to school or get like a real, real job. Mm-hmm. So I was like, oh, I'll just go back to school. I love learning. So yeah. I came here, went to Parsons and got a business degree, uh, master's in business. Mm-hmm. Like Essentially, it was a degree in like behind the scenes of the fashion industry. Right. So that brought me to an internship with a designer um, that I like really loved and I was doing all of their sort of behind the scenes marketing social digital gave me a lot of connections in the space and using the connections sort of that I made while working for the designer I actually launched a blog talking about the kind of like younger up-and-coming designers models like and other sort of industry mm-hmm. insiders right. that were not being talked about from like the traditional sort of content avenues including mm-hmm. you know magazines etc right this is too long no it's perfect okay you can totally cut this down no no no, no. i'm i, I like it keep going okay cool so launched a blog um the blog was one of the first blogs sort of in the space Mm -hmm. we talked uh about fashion news so things that were happening in the industry specifically new york centric news Mm -hmm. uh about fashion um and we talked a lot about again like the the sort of younger up-and-coming insiders Mm -hmm. so like the up-and-coming designers up-and-coming models up-and-coming stylists up-and-coming like cool kids and other like sort of industry uh insiders and influencers Mm -hmm. That, um, sort of the network that I made by talking about those people Mm -hmm. led me to start producing events. So we used to host weekly parties Mm -hmm. and all of these people would come and that led itself to like content featuring these people at parties. Right. So the blog became a mix of like industry news, insider sort of interviews and like showcases Mm -hmm. and then like party photos with all the cool kids. Right. So, like, Alexander Wang came to a party before, like, he was Alexander Wang. Like, oh, that's that dope. Kind of, I mean, yeah, cool. Yeah. <laughs> um, things that, like, at the time, we were just, like, the me and, like, my group of editors mm-hmm. were just, like, this is cool, this is fun. We're, like, you know, writing content, talking about people, going to parties, like, hosting parties, life was cool. Mm-hmm. And then about two years in, we reached 5 million monthly uniques, but it had no money to buy food because obviously 10, 12 years ago, whenever this was really bad with timelines, by mm-hmm. the way, about 12 years ago, no one was paying for this type of content yeah. right? because no one understood the digital sort of landscape and social media didn't exist. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So we were writing content. It was reaching millions of people, but no one was willing to pay us to create either branded content mm-hmm. or we weren't even able to sell like banner ads we signed with a network, like an ad network. We're able to make five hundred to a thousand dollars a month. Sold some like smaller campaigns here and there. And another year later, we're like, okay, we officially don't have enough money to buy food, pay for rent, and pay freelance writers. Mm-hmm. Around the same time, we actually um, got an offer from a Canadian media media company to sell the blog and like the IP that came with it. I was like 23, I think at the time. And I was just exhausted and writing content 24 seven. I was like, I just don't think this is like the world I want to be in. Mm -hmm. I want health insurance and I need to stop eating pizza. Like (laughs) 
my dad buys me with his credit card, you know, and then, like, sends to the apartment so right. myself plus the freelancers. Yeah. So, sold the blog, and actually about a week later, got a job offer um, at Richemont. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you know Richemont. Mm-hmm. It's one of the largest jewelry conglomerates. Okay. So, they own Cartier. They own got WBC. It. They own a lot of uh, kind of watch and jewelry brands in mm-hmm. the luxury space. Mm-hmm. So went there, um, the job essentially was to teach the bigger like corporate guys what social media and digital marketing entailed and encompassed and what like e-commerce was and anything that basically touched, you know, the, the internet mm-hmm, mm-hmm. because at the time brands were just not fully aware. Most oh, brands sure. didn't have e-commerce, brands didn't know how to speak to consumers directly, brands weren't utilizing like content that they were creating in house that they could potentially then distribute through, you know, other platforms. Right. So I went in house there and basically spent a year hitting my head against a wall, trying to teach people who were just not interested in learning. Right. At the same time, a couple of my friends who, you know, used to come to our parties who were kind of also in the industry, but had full-time jobs had launched blogs of their own but focused on personal style. Mm -hmm. So they were using blogging as a way to basically tell their own stories as like a a journal or, you know, a diary. And they started featuring content of themselves. So what they were wearing, kind of what they were doing, like the very early stages of what the influencer landscape looks like today, but they were doing it on either Blogger or WordPress or, you know, platforms Mm -hmm. that Mm -hmm. aren't as popular, obviously, anymore. And I don't know if you remember a platform called Lookbook.mu. Yeah, I do. So it was one of the first, right, where people started gaining a following. It was like one of the first social platforms where you could post daily outfit photos Mm -hmm. and get feedback Mm -hmm. from like an audience. Right. So a lot of my friends were able to transition that sort of lookbook.edu following Mm -hmm. into a blog following. And within the year that I was at my full-time job, they started gaining some like recognition in the space from brands. So Coach was one of the first brands that sort of recognized, remember, like the influencers? Um, And they did that campaign where they, you know, co-designed bags. So this was like that same sort of timeline. Mm -hmm. So my friends that were in the space had essentially come to me asking for advice on how to create packages that they could sell on their blogs. Right. So what does a package of like a blog post with some banner ads look like? How do they build a media kit? How do they put together their stats and what Mm -hmm. stats are important? Mm -hmm. And again, this is before social media. So this was all like Google analytics. Right. So I was like, Oh, I can, you know, I can help my friends kind of build out some of these packages and like media kits and things like that. Mm -hmm. And because most of my friends had a full-time job as well, they also didn't have time to negotiate their own deals. Mm -hmm. So long story short, I was like, I leave work at five o'clock every day because I work work a job where I punch in at nine and punch out at five. I have a lot of free time on my hands. Why don't I help build these decks, but also pitch them and negotiate the deals that are coming to you from the brand. Right. And that way you seem more professional because it seems like you have, you know, a manager. Yeah, yeah. So again, long story short, I took on a couple friends for quote management and started negotiating their deals. Mm-hmm. The first deal that I negotiated was fifty dollars mm-hmm. and I made ten percent of that and I thought I was awesome. I was it like, was awesome at the time. At the time, like, 10 so, years yeah, ago. 100%. That's exactly. awesome. Like 50 bucks was 50 bucks, yeah. right? This was at a time when, like... It wasn't um, popularized, like, unheard of. So yeah. not only was it not popularized, the the value of money at the time 
time was completely different totally. than the value of money today. Mm-hmm. Because a lot of the people that I was negotiating these these deals for, $50 or $100 was potentially a day's worth of work mm-hmm. if they were making minimum wage totally. at like a retail job, mm-hmm. right? Where like at the time minimum wage in New York was what, like, I don't know, eight to ten dollars an hour mm-hmm. so if you imagine like a hundred bucks is a day's worth of work for someone absolutely so if this is something that they love to do on the side getting paid a hundred dollars to create a piece of content for a brand was like the best thing that ever happened to them a hundred percent yeah so that sort of business i guess um, or if you may call it that sort of business kind of kept growing. So more and more brands started reaching out to them. A few more bloggers heard that I'm like managing bloggers, started coming to me being like, I hear you're a blogger manager. I was <laughs> coined the fairy blog mother at some point. <laughs> I love which it. is like the title I used to have on my business cards before yeah. things became like professionalized. Yeah. And I basically started doing this for months or like for a while, yeah. for like probably five or six months. Mm-hmm until brands actually started kind of hearing about me and what I was doing Mm -hmm. and started reaching out to me directly to consult them Mm -hmm. on how to work with bloggers, how to build out blogger strategies, which bloggers to work with. And I was like, interesting. So I started building out a network of other bloggers that exist in the space and pitching them to brands. So Mm -hmm. I was kind of doing both sides, managing the few bloggers that were my friends Mm -hmm. and then working with brands and helping them kind of understand the ecosystem right and that started growing as well to a point where I was like I can't do a full-time job and do this on the side so I actually went to my boss at the time and I was like what is the chance of me growing in this like giant corporate conglomerate and he looked at me and he was like it will take you 30 years to get to like a place where you will be happy and I was like cool this is my two weeks yeah I basically put in my two weeks and I left and I was like I'll figure it out right Mm -hmm. now I'm making like you know some money from these things that I'm doing Mm -hmm. and I started doing that more full-time and it kept growing and growing and more bloggers came and more brands came and eight months later I was like I have so much incoming to me that I can't handle that and I need to hire people to help me because of the demand and again this was probably like eight and a half ish years ago wow yeah so i was like i think i need to actually like launch a business yeah so i filed paperwork for social aid and i hired two people and that was the early stages of what the agency is today and today we still have essentially two different divisions the talent management or agency division where we represent talent and then we have a brand strategy division that works with brands mm-hmm. and is essentially influencer agnostic we obviously look to our own talent first mm-hmm. but if they're not a fit like for example if a brand is looking for something very specific based on like a geographic location or a category mm-hmm. where we don't have influencers in mm-hmm. like for example We only have a few moms on our roster. Mm -hmm. We do a lot of like mom type campaigns. We'll cast outside of our roster and go out and find people within the network that fit the like specific criteria the brand is looking for. I mean, it all worked out so organically. (laughs) It did. I actually had no idea I was launching a company. People sort of always ask me like, how did you know? Or, you know, what kind of drove you to this idea? And honestly, nothing did. Like, I'd love to sit here and be like, I recognized the like growing space and I was like, I'm going to put my foot in. 
and honestly, I, I almost like have my friends to thank for it. Yeah. Um, many of which who are still with the agency that just like needed help and was were willing to. I mean, it was the best me. practice though for you, right? Yeah. Like and it was like super fun for me on the side when yeah. I was trying to figure out do I want to stay in corporate? Do I want to like do this thing that I have the knowledge in? Because mm-hmm. being sort of my own blogger at the time, and I always knew that like I didn't want to be like a personal stock blogger. I never cared to be sort of in front of the camera. Right. I never liked taking photos of myself. That wasn't the type of content I was interested in. Mm-hmm. When I was sort of writing, it was more about like the industry and trying to get content out to consumers that no one was talking about. Because at the time, obviously, like Vogue was the only place where you could find really like, you know, interesting fashion content. Mm-hmm. So that's also what attracted me to the influencers mm-hmm. because the influencers were also taking sort of brands and designers and trends and making it their own and making it more sort of available. Like relatable, I feel like. Relatable, yeah. exactly. Available and relatable to consumers. Mm-hmm. So that like sort of democratization of the industry that everyone consistently talks about that's what I wanted to do as a blogger, but then I was able to essentially transition that and use the network of influencers or yeah. bloggers at the time that I was working with to do the exact same thing, but I almost saw it being done on a much like larger level or like much larger scale. Yeah. So if you kind of compare the like five million readers that we had versus, you know, you take every blogger that we worked with at the time or every influencer we work with now, they reach millions upon millions upon millions of followers. So you can really create a trend, like, or mm-hmm. start a trend, create a trend, get something to go viral. Totally. And that, to me, is really interesting about this ecosystem. Yeah, yeah. It's, I mean, it's, it's a very, very interesting story. <laughs> Thanks. So um, right now, obviously, you guys have like a whole roster of talent that you represent so I was wondering what the process is like like how do you select if someone is right to be represented by socialite yeah of course and um so for us the goal has never been to grow into a very very large agency from a talent standpoint right so it's never been about you know signing as many talents as possible Mm -hmm. because we don't look at the talent as just like content plus followers equals money Mm -hmm. to us it's personal relationships Uh you know it's very much about sort of building a family um and building people that we can really truly stand behind Mm -hmm. that we can like nourish and grow and like care about so it's more about finding the right fit from a personality standpoint and then looking at all the other things that make them an influencer so for example of course their following matters. Of course, their engagement level matters. Of course, like true reach, true impressions, story views, conversion rate, all of that stuff, really, really important. I can kind of take a deeper dive into those analytics Mm -hmm. because our vetting process is very analytically heavy Mm -hmm. to make sure that there is, you know, authenticity and to make sure that that influencer reaches a very specific consumer and that consumer is engage with their content and cares about that that they can actually influence someone because to me there is a big difference between following and influence 100 and i think that's something that we've in this industry sometimes confused you know both on the influencer space uh, side on the influencer side on the agency side on the brand side you know and i'm sure you remember a time when followers equaled influence right that doesn't matter anymore thank god I agree, a thousand percent agree. So when we vet talent, 
to be fully honest with you, the personality traits that we're looking for mm-hmm. is exactly that. It is a personality. It yeah. is something to say, something to share. Mm-hmm. What is their story? What are they looking to put out there? Because at the end of the day, not everyone is special and that's okay. We just need to find that one special thing that makes that specific influencer special and we need to understand what are they doing what do they want to share and what is their end goal and once all of that sort of aligns with our own vision for what we're looking to do with the agency and what we think we can do on behalf of that influencer then of course we take like a deeper dive into the the analytical stuff the Mm -hmm. numbers the metrics etc and then sort of lastly this probably goes into the personality more than anything else we truly care about their professionalism because the one of the biggest issues, in my opinion, my humble opinion, in the space, is that there's a lot of young people flooding into it. And that's okay. I'm okay with there being young people who want to be entrepreneurs, who see an opportunity, and, you know, they mm-hmm. kind of run at the opportunity full speed ahead. Right. My issue is a lot of the young people that are in the space now who have grown to have some sort of influence mm-hmm. were never professionally trained in terms of etiquette. So a lot of them don't fully know how to answer emails in a professional matter. They don't understand timelines or deadlines and how important those things are. They don't understand that their piece of sort of the pie, mm-hmm. I should say, like their part of the campaign is usually part of something significantly larger. So if they fuck up, the entire campaign fucks up. Right. And right. that then falls back on us as an agency. So if we secure an influencer for a campaign and they're impossible to get a hold of because they don't find it a priority to respond to their emails in a Mm -hmm. timely manner and they don't adhere to deadlines, that falls on us as an agency, which means that we potentially have ruined a relationship with the brand, you know, especially if it's not an influencer that we represent because typically before we sign an influencer, we'll vet a couple opportunities with them to gauge whether or not they can get shit done. Mm-hmm. And you'd be very surprised to to know how many people can't get shit done. I I love <laughs> the points that you touch on because I think that like I was saying thank God that followers no longer <laughs> yes. equates to influence because yeah. I think that they're two completely different things. 100%. You know? And I think like We've seen all too many cases of people going and buying a bunch of followers, Instagram doing a clean out, and then, you know. And yeah, that's what happened last week. Yeah. And like, yeah. It, it just makes you wonder, like, also, yeah. like, okay, you have all these numbers, but who are you really talking to? Exactly. Or who's, it's it's that, it's who are you talking to, but also who is listening. Listen, exactly. Exactly. Right? It's very much twofold. And, like, it's one thing to take pretty photos. Like, totally. Anyone, we know this, right? Anyone with an iPhone with some, like, editing apps and some filters can take pretty photos. Mm-hmm. Everyone is pretty, you know, and everyone can dress well. That's yeah. totally fine. It's about what do you have to say and who will listen to the things that you have to say. Yeah. And can you actually drive some sort of consumer behavior? Mm. That's like really what we care about. Yeah. And the consumer behavior can be as little as engagement, right? It could be liking your photo, commenting on your photo, sending you a DM, etc. Or it can be sort of as large as conversion. And at the end of the day, we care about conversion, mm. right? The reason this space has so much money flooding into it is because you can't actually track 
conversion, mm-hmm. but more importantly, you can actually drive conversion through very specific influencers who have real influence yeah. outside of just their following. Yeah, I mean, I think it's very, very important, especially now, considering, like, I mean, we were talking a little bit before the interview started that, like, everyone and their uncle wants yep. to get into this space. And, so, their, cat. and their cat, you yep. know, and probably their cat has a better chance, honestly, at this point. A hundred percent. Especially if it's a really cute Yeah, totally. That looks different. Oh, 100%. But considering that, I think it's really important to have, like, a strong and unique voice. So, like, find... Yeah, like, I think it's so, so important to succeed. So, I think, like, you made some really, really good points there. Like, people, (laughs) whoever's looking to get into this space, like, I don't think, personally, that it's too saturated if you're smart. Like, agree, agree. But I do think it's too saturated in the, in the sense of there are a lot of yeah. fucking content creators totally. in this space. Which is why you need to find your unique perspective. Like, Correct. I just, and that perspective is either going to come from, you know, the way you look. Because yeah. diversity right now is everything, everything. in yeah. this space. The way you dress in your specific style. Mm. Because, you know, just because you shop at Zara or have discovered Fashion Nova doesn't mean that you know you have a very interesting perspective on styling. Yeah. Or your content is different. Totally. Or you have a voice. Like there's a lot of things that you can have, mm. and in a perfect world, you have all of them, which is how you kind of become viral in this space. Yeah. But you're competing with influencers who have been in the space for a decade. Totally. Right. Who have had ten years to get their shit together. A hundred percent. You know, and while, of course, like, not everyone starts tomorrow and is competing with Ami Song, mm-hmm. and that's okay, but you're competing with everyone else that started. Absolutely. Yeah. So it's yeah. it's important to find your unique okay. voice. So what are some things that you see successful content creators do? Yep. So I think that just goes back to what we just discussed. Yeah. Um, I think successful content creators, first and foremost, outline a plan. Mm-hmm. And I don't mean... In, that they sit down and write a business plan because obviously it's very difficult to write a business plan for this specific space. Yeah. But they sit down and they try to figure out exactly what makes them unique. Mm -hmm. What is that specific perspective? What is, what is it that makes them different or what makes them special? You know, and they almost have to compare themselves to other influencers in the space in order to try to figure out what is their unique point of view. Right. So a lot of those influencers that we sort of see gaining some popularity right now, right? Mm -hmm. Someone who was nano at some point who's become micro, usually what makes them successful is perseverance and like determination because there's people in the space, you know, or I get asked a lot of questions when like I do, I sit and talk at panels Mm -hmm. and someone's like, I've been doing this for four months and nothing's happening. Yeah, it's been four months. It's been four months. Like, like give it a minute. <laughs> it takes years to build businesses. Yeah. And while I understand that an Instagram account is not necessarily a business, but there's a business behind that Instagram account, right? There is that determination and perseverance to keep pushing forward, to keep evolving, to keep creating high quality content, Absolutely. to keep trying to engage an audience, to keep trying to grow that audience, to keep trying to you know, push forward into that like unique factor Mm -hmm. that you have to figure out in the beginning because a lot of influencers are trying to figure it out now. And I think while yes, some have, you know, been able to pivot into something more unique after they've amassed some type of following, Mm -hmm. I think if someone is trying to grow right now, 
they won't be able to until they figure out what is that unique specific perspective and I think it has to be more than just like the way you edit your photos absolutely like I understand that you could choose a filter that no one else is choosing mm-hmm. but that's not going to give you enough of a unique factor to stand out amongst the rest of sort of the like saturated crowd yeah yeah I think yeah good points yeah um, and again professionalism super important I like I, I like I could speak all day about it because it's really unfortunate when we so like we get about I would say 30-ish influencers that reach out every single day looking for representation or management mm-hmm. or at least to be added into our network for mm-hmm. pitching mm-hmm. and some of the emails that we receive of influencers pitching themselves I'm like did you go to high school like did you did anyone teach you how to write a sentence like how to reach out to someone, how to make sure that like when you're spelling someone's name, it's correct. Oof, you know, come on. And I think I'm difficult. I have one C in Becca, which is like not very common. But if you email me, you write Becca with two C's, like delete. Yeah, it out canceled. One hundred percent. Um. So this is kind of like a question that I didn't even have to ask, but <laughs> like if someone is pitching themselves yeah. to you guys, yeah. um. What, like, what is a successful email, would you say? Or, like, what is a successful, like, what is something that catches your eye? Yeah, um, that's a really good, that's a really good question. Um, honestly, usually it's, it's almost like a cover letter, but from an influencer, um, something a little bit more personal than a cover letter, mm-hmm. not like, hey, I'm looking for a job, mm-hmm. but I love emails that are very unique, uh, that tell a story. So if an influencer emails us and says, you know, I am so-and-so, my, you know, my content is about this and my life goal is this. And I think I can get there because I can do this, this, and this. And I think I'm special because of this. And I'm passionate about these things. And I'm going to keep doing this like this. Like something where it seems like the other person has at least thoroughly thought out Mm. who they are, what they want, what makes them special and what they will do to get there, you know? And then of course, like if they provide us some stats, like general stats on where they are, like, for example, I've seen emails. We just signed a girl who, uh, within a year gained about 50,000 followers. Good for her. Yeah. And she actually sent us an email, um, she created three graphs, one graph to show growth and then supported that growth with screenshots from her account, one graph to show brand inquiries, and in a third graph to show dollars that she's made. And it was really impressive because Super impressive. no one's done that before. Yeah. And of course, like on top of that, she has the personality and the professionalism and everything else matches and she's determined and et cetera, et cetera. And she's amazing. She was like a, a pageant girl, like mm-hmm. a pageant queen, did sort of that circuit, won a few like pageants and was like, this is not my passion. My passion is this. Mm-hmm. And in order to give me the like end goal of working on my passion, I need to build an audience or build influence so that I can actually drive that passion project forward. Great. Love you. Sign. Done. That's yeah. amazing. You know, that's what we look totally, for. Totally, yeah. Someone who has that story, who isn't just like, I want to be an influencer because I want to travel to cool places. 
See, cool, same. like, I just think it's, <laughs> like, I think it's interesting when people start with that intention, like, oh, like, when's the soonest I can make money? Or, like, when's the right. soonest I can travel to a cool place? Because, sure, yeah. like, that's, I guess, like, uh, almost well, like, a perk. it's a perk. Like, that shouldn't be the reason why you decide right. to get into this. You should get into this. I think, like, intention is everything, Agreed. you know? And, like, yeah. So, we actually have a doc, an internal doc probably shouldn't tell you about really <laughs> um, so we have an internal doc both for exclusive talent and talent just like generally in our, in our network that we work with relatively often right where we ask them why are they in this mm-hmm. and that's usually the first question we ask anyone in like a vetting process yeah I'm cool with someone wanting to travel the world and travel to cool places and experience like things that other people wouldn't be able to do fine cool with that same like that's awesome i'm also cool with people wanting to go to cool parties i'm also cool with people wanting to sit front row of fashion week mm-hmm. i'm also cool with people getting free product from brands mm-hmm. i'm cool with all of those things as long as none of those things are your number one goal yeah right course, yeah and i get that for everyone um sort of what drives them is different, right? Some people are driven solely by money and that's fine. Like that exists in the space. Mm-hmm. And we have influencers who are driven only by money. Like all they care about is money. They do every single project that comes to them, no matter the budget, no matter if it's on brand, they will just do it. And we try to steer them in a specific direction and they just want the money. And sometimes the intentions behind it is good. Meaning we have an influencer on our roster who is just trying to make enough money right now so they can essentially quit the space and use that money to invest in another business. Mm. Fine. So they're trying to get to a certain dollar amount it's that like they're a goal, making yeah. so that they can like leave this space and start this other business. Mm. Fine. I'm okay with that. Like at least it's a goal, yeah. right? It's not just like, well, I just don't want to go get a real job or I don't want to go to college. I've heard from influencers, I love your eyebrow raise, that was great. Um, like people will come to this office for like a vetting sort of situation. They're like 21 years old, they're beautiful, they have like 40,000 followers, but like we can easily get them to 100, we can make them successful, etc. And they'll sit across from us in the meeting and we'll be like, why do you want to do this? And they'll be like, well, I just like didn't want to go to college. Canceled, go to college. <laughs> like go to fucking college. Go to college. I don't even care what you do. Like, you're going to need that at some point. Totally. My, like, biggest concern right now is, like, at some point in the next few years, there's going to be a group of washed-up influencers whose only skill set is taking photos of themselves. That's an issue for me. Yeah. So, like, we're only here to support and cultivate actual talent who have actual like aspirations of what they're trying to get to. And if that is building a brand, launching a product, writing a book, having their own podcast, cool. I'm cool with all of those things. I'm again also cool with someone being like, I'm going to spend the next two years making enough money so that like I can open up a coffee shop. Cool. Something. Mm. It just can't be like, I don't want to go to college and I don't want to get a job. Yeah. I'm not okay with those things. Yeah, I I don't know. I think it just, it's a, yeah, it just, I think it's just like a uh, different approach, but I mean, I don't think. It's just not the approach for me. I'm yeah, sure yeah, exactly. There's people out there who are 
happy to sign talent like that. Yeah. It's just not the type of talent I want to stand behind, you know? I mean, yeah, I think that personally, like, when I started, I just feel like it came from such a creative and, like, almost naive place, you know, 100%. where I was just, like, I want to, I didn't even know, like, I remember when. None of us knew, right? Yeah. None of us knew what this would be. We were just willing to, like, ride it out. Yeah. I didn't even know it was possible to monetize. And so it's Same. so funny when, like, people come to me now and they're, like, well, how, what's the soonest I can start making money? And I'm, like, dude, like, I didn't make money for, like, I don't know, like, the first three years. years. Like, yeah, like, yeah. for a while. Yeah. I didn't even know it was a thing. I remember, like, my first campaign, I got paid, like, I don't know, like, a hundred bucks. And I was, like, right. oh, I've made it. Yeah. <laughs> you know? like, and then today, like, the influencers now yeah right and i don't even love calling them influencers i hate that word i hate the word we need to come up with i go with content creator i do too i just hate that word so much and like we we like kind of toggle between talent and content creator yeah sometimes talent feels strange because like in the traditional world yes exactly talent is like a totally different meaning Content creator kind of makes sense, but it doesn't encompass the fact that they're a content creator who has influence. Yes. You know, so there's like something missing there. There needs to be a word, which is, I wrote an article about why I hate the word influencer. Oh, oh, I absolutely hate it. I don't like it either. I remember like three years ago, we had like an internal team meeting where we were like, we have to stop calling them bloggers. Yeah, because they don't want Exactly. Right? Not everyone's a blogger. are you an influencer? And then with all the like kind of fraudulent shit that started happening, it was like, do we need a different word? Cause you might not be an influencer. Cause your following might be fake. So you're not influencing anyone. We like, need a new word. Yeah. We need a new also, word. Also like, just like, yeah, Let's seriously. Uh, yes. I mean, like also, I, I don't know. I feel like going to someone and being like, I'm an influencer. Like, no, I, I don't want to say that. It just, it sounds weird. Like, I'm just like, <laughs> sometimes I see business cards where it just says like influencer. influencer I'm and just like, this is cringe. Cool. <laughs> okay. So um, while, while we are speaking about the fraudulent yes, and yes, let's talk fraudulent. all this kind of stuff, let's talk about loop giveaways. How do you feel about them? Uh, I don't feel great about them. Mm-hmm. Honestly, probably hate them. It's something that we look for when we meet that talent, mm-hmm. both for representation and for casting in a program. Mm-hmm. So... What people don't realize, which I don't understand how people don't realize, is because technology platforms exist today that Mm. didn't exist, you know, when you and I were doing this, like, a decade ago, Mm. right? Brands, agencies, and these platforms have access to data. And that data shows when something fraudulent happened on the back end. So usually almost any tech platform out there that exists that is able to capture, you know, backend data from Instagram specifically, right, will show growth of an influencer over three months, six months, up to a year, sometimes even two years, depending on the data that the platform has access to. Mm-hmm. And you could see the spikes in traffic that obviously look unnatural mm-hmm. in, the, in this platform or a platform. Right. right. So if you do a loop giveaway, whether or not you were one of the people that posted it on your feed or it was done via dark posting or however you participated mm-hmm. in it, I'm saying if it wasn't outwardly facing mm-hmm. on your own feed, right? We as an agency using our tech platform that's proprietary to us 
will see that overnight you gain X amount of followers. That is an unnatural pattern right. for how you've grown in the past. Yeah. Therefore, you will be canceled. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I love that. You will be canceled. Cancel culture over here, like, very heavily. So I don't see why even do that because even if you can grow your following overnight, and let's say you could do it steadily mm-hmm. where it's not – because a loop giveaway is going to drive a lot of followers within a certain amount of time, mm-hmm. right? Because usually the loop giveaway, there's, like, an expiration date to potentially win – whatever the, like, large prize is, mm-hmm. the, like, 18 iPhones that you get, you know, or, like, a trip to Fiji, which is usually what it is. Um, we're going to see that spike over, let's say, if it's not over 24 hours, maybe it's over three days or seven days, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. It's still going to look very unnatural compared to the growth of you as an influencer, right, because what happened before this, and the general growth of other influencers in the space, because we compare growth rates mm. and we see what is a natural growth rate for influencers and what is an unnatural growth rate for influencers. And yes, there's influencers growing because they're currently like viral, meaning mm-hmm. like they're very high demand, there's a lot of press around them, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Most of the influencers in the ecosystem are growing at a very specific rate. Mm-hmm. So the loop giveaways seem very unnatural. Right. And then if you do that, like what are you gonna do with your engagement? Because the higher you're following, if you, like, fraudulently, you know, explode your following, like, what's the word? If you, like, buy your following, you're not buying engagement to match it, which means your engagement rate, which is what brands really care about right now, actually goes down. Yeah. So you've actually ruined your chances of getting certain campaigns if a brand has a very specific benchmark for a percentage of engagement rate. So then what you usually see with people who are doing giveaways is that they're also buying engagement. So they're buying likes, they're buying comments. Um, And then, of course, you see their comments being like all emojis. And then a lot of times these same people that participate in loop giveaways are also part of what's called a comment pod. Mm -hmm. And the comment pod is usually the same group of people or a different group of people who all basically like handshake and promise slash make you swear to each other that they will comment on each other's posts in order to drive up that engagement because they know that they have to match their fraudulent growth with engagement. Mm -hmm. So the interesting thing to me, and we talked about this earlier, where following doesn't matter, the only thing you cannot currently buy your way into is actual reach and impression numbers because that is all based on the Instagram algorithm Mm -hmm. and how they sort of open your content up to be viewed by your followers, Mm -hmm. right? So that is the one thing you can't control and you can't buy. So to us, there is a benchmark sort of impression and reach metric for influencers within certain following ranges. Right. So we can also see if an influencer did something fraudulent with their following or with their engagement, if their reach and impression level doesn't match the like benchmark within the industry. Same with story views. You know, if you have very low or very high story views, it's very telling of what you potentially did on the, like, front-facing analytics. Right. Yeah, really, yeah, very, very interesting. Yeah, I feel so, like, I think it's, like, 
I think it's interesting that you speak about reach and um, impressions because yeah. I do think that people need to focus on the kind of the engagement that they're getting. Exactly. Like, that is the most important. Yeah, thing. like, we're actually seeing a trend in the space where um, saves is becoming a metric for brands. Mm. And, like, on the on one side, and you'll totally understand this, back, back in the day where following is all that mattered, there was obviously, like, a plus side and a minus side to that world because as an agency assuming that you know reach was the same as follower count and without any analytics that were available at all Mm -hmm. you could just like come up with whatever dollar amount you wanted to charge right so you were like this person has this following and they're five thousand dollars right now because everything is transparent because there are analytics, whether or not a brand or agency, whoever uses a platform to assess those analytics, or they require the influencer to send screenshots, mm. everything is transparent, right? So there is a standardization happening in the industry, which I think is going to actually weed out all of the influencers that are participating in these, like, you know, sort of fraudulent actions. Well, I also think it's important, right? Because I think that as people find ways to rig the system, the yeah. more, I guess, um, like, uh, detailed it becomes, I suppose. Yeah. Like, these yeah. these metrics are necessary now yeah. because, obviously, things aren't what they used to be beforehand. Yeah. So, like, I think it's it's great. And I think, like, uh, yeah, it, it, it helps brands figure out who the people are that they should be working with as opposed to just someone who has, like, a bunch of followers, yeah. not necessarily, like, Agreed. the right kind of person you know like they're not reaching like I I think it's so important to have you know the theory like 1,000 true fans if you can get the true fans like that's what really matters okay so the word authenticity is thrown around a lot in the space yeah talk to me about what it means to you so to us authenticity is is more about the actual individual influencer and their authentic voice Mm. their authentic ability to tell a story to be storytellers right and content creators and the authenticity that shows through from their personality and the content they're creating the story that they're telling to their audience that's sort of the front end side you know as we just talked about mm-hmm. fraudulent followers yeah, the back end like authenticity piece is obvious mm-hmm. to us it's more that like that perseverance that has to be authentic. Those reasons on why you're doing this have to be authentic. Right. You have to really love this specific space because you can get really easily lost in it. Mm-hmm. You know, there is sort of a, there's something happening right now where influencers that have been in it for a long time are starting to burn out. I don't know if you've kind of seen it from friends that have been doing it for a while. I'm sure you've had conversations. We've had plenty of conversations with influencers that are like, I've been doing this for years. I'm tired. Like, I don't have anything else to say. You know, I don't know what other new content to create. I've kind of done it all. Mm -hmm. I also don't want to be like a pawn for brands, right? Because we're also in in a space where because of the money coming into the space, um, brands have a lot of control. The demands, yeah. Right? You the lose demands. so much. You give up so much. You a lose of, a yeah. lot of that original authenticity. Yes. Like, as you said, everyone in the beginning was naive, right? Everyone was like, I'm just sharing my outfit that I wore to the flower market to pick up flowers. Yes. Like, 
cool, that was great, but we're no longer in that space. And of course, there's influencers who have been able to stay, you know, quote, authentic to, again, their personality, their storyline, their vision, their content, their aspiration, like, et cetera, mm-hmm. and been able to incorporate the right brands and the right campaigns into their content. But on the flip side, there's influencers who every other post is sponsored, or even up to 70% of their content is sponsored. So to us, that sort of ratio is really about creating that like authentic storyline and that influencer staying true to that storyline no matter what like brand comes in or whatever like struggles they get because as you also know like reach has gone down impressions have gone down influencers aren't growing at the same rate they used to you know they're creating high quality content talking and engaging with their audience but like they're not seeing the same sort of successes Mm -hmm. that someone saw three years ago yeah totally and it's becoming really hard for them to stay authentic Mm -hmm. to the reasons why they started in this industry in the first place and that's like what's important to us we try to keep people as grounded as possible while trying to obviously make the money and get them to like the next level of whatever their influence is supposed to like you know drive for them but it's not easy totally um what is the sweet spot between sponsored and non-sponsored posts so to us it's anywhere from let's say 25 percent up to 40 i would say i mean a few of our influencers are in such high demand that there are they are at 50 percent you know sponsored to non-sponsored but depending on like the space that they're in so for example for a lifestyle influencer so someone who talks about everything about their life right what they wear where they go what they eat what products they use what's in their home etc the more um the more you're able to tell the story of your entire life right the easier it is to actually build in uh branded content because it's more natural mm-hmm. right versus like you're a fashion influencer and then tomorrow you're like i now use tampax tampons and you're like, cool, I get it. Like, you're a woman, you yeah. use tampons. It's fine. Generally speaking, it fits your life. But the life that you've presented on Instagram, right, the curated, edited version of your life, that doesn't fit. Totally. So usually, like, mom influencers, for example, like, lifestyle mommy bloggers, influencers, mm-hmm. have a, a higher... Uh, sort of ratio right. of sponsor to non-sponsor content because it's easier for them to incorporate totally. everything from like toothpaste to like you know Oreos mm. to fashion to like whatever. Right. Versus let's say super niche. Yeah, like super niche content creators, like the more editorial style mm-hmm. influencers that are a bit more fashion and travel. Mm-hmm. It's harder for them to be like, now I use a Gillette razor, and you're like, where did that come from? Like, yeah. you know, like we get it, you shave. Yeah. And that's the interesting thing almost like going back to authenticity depending on how an influencer has built their sort of brand on instagram right you know through their content if they've used it more as like a reality tv kind of like version or platform to tell their lives they can't be like yeah obviously i shave we all shave Mm -hmm. like you know and it makes sense but if someone else has been like i'm only this person and I don't, like, I'm not a human almost. That makes it very difficult for them Absolutely. to potentially work with brands, which is why as an agency, we've actually pushed a lot of people into the 
lifestyle space. Like if they have the personality, they're not shy, they're willing to talk about their lives and the things that they use, they've actually been more successful than some of the like more niche mm. kind of like only fashion influencers mm. who create that like high quality editorial content. That makes sense? So like to, to us, and you can edit this out, but no, like fine. there's four different types of content creators, at least like in mm-hmm. our world. There's like we're influencers, I would say, four different categories of influencers. You've heard me talk about this a lot. Um, there's like celebrity level influencers, right? Like you have a following because you are Beyonce. Yeah. Right? Put those people like on the side because mm-hmm. they're not the people in our sort of space or ecosystem. Right. Then there's the like bikini model, yeah. six pack ab modely type people I'm yeah. like you know I usually call them something very specific but we won't do that here like <laughs> you know what I'm talking <laughs> yes, about They're I know like, exactly always on a beach in yes. a bikini yes. you know guy girl like you're attractive whatever your situation is you have probably millions of followers yes the problem with those people is because they are only one thing mm-hmm. there's no lifestyle brand that makes sense for those people in terms of brand Got it. You know, like, I've seen a bikini model post, like, a hashtag ad campaign for a mattress. And you're like, cool, I get it, you sleep. But, but it doesn't like, make sense. Every single photo of you is on the beach. Yeah. Like, what, like, okay, What just happened? What just happened? Like, yeah. Again, I get it, you sleep. But, like, right? Yeah. And the interesting thing with, with those people is most of their audience is typically the opposite sex. Yes. Yeah. I've, right. I've seen so that. in terms of branded content or in terms of brands looking to reach specific audiences, they usually aren't a fit. And even if you're a bikini brand, right? Like we work with some swimmer brands that are like, well, we just want to work with those types of influencers. But then like, they're reaching mostly men. So A, they're reaching mostly men who might buy that bikini for their girlfriend if they have one. Yeah. But on the flip side, even if let's say that person is 30% women but has 10 million followers and then you're reaching 3 million people, mm-hmm. cool, that's great, but the problem is share of voice. And that's another thing we try to teach brands. A share of voice is actually just as important as like the ratio sponsored to non-sponsored content. Meaning if you're a bikini brand and an influencer is posting only bikinis, how is your bikini standing out from every other bikini that she's posting, mm. right? So for example, beauty brands, like historically, only want to work with beauty influencers, right? So, you know, a brand comes to us and we're launching a new like line of lipsticks, give us your top 10 beauty influencers. I'm like, here's the thing, happy to, all day, every day. But those beauty influencers post a different beauty brand every single day. So unless you're going to pay them for exclusivity, you're not getting share of voice within their feed. But here's the thing. If you work with a fitness influencer who posts mostly fitness type content, but every once in a while posts a photo of them, you know, going to a kind of a non-fitness based event. Mm-hmm. And then they post about your lipstick, you're getting share of voice. Right. Right. And that is really important to us. So then moving on. The other two sort of categories of influencer for us as an agency mm. is the content creators. Yes. Like people who create content specifically for platforms. Right. Specifically for Instagram, mm. as we're talking about. And those content creators are split into two. There's the basic bitches, which I say in the nicest way possible, meaning that they are the ones who are just posting their basic everyday life. 
everything from, again, what they eat, what they wear, where they go, where they travel to, what products they use, reality TV style basic, right? And it doesn't have to be basic, meaning like they were, you know, XYZ basic brand, mm. but basic in the sense of like, it's just their life on Instagram. Right. And the other side is the like highly curated, editorial, editorial yeah. high quality, everything is staged, planned, produced, etc. Right? Each of those influencers, those two, that's where the bulk of our business sits. And you fit in one or the other. Mm -hmm. Maybe sometimes you bridge the gap. But based on the brand that you're working with and the goals of the brand, so the KPIs of a specific campaign, one of those influencers will be a better fit. So, for example, the lifestyle influencers, again, can have a larger sponsored content to non-sponsored content right. ratio because they can talk about a lot of different products mm -hmm. versus the editorial type influencers usually have a harder time mixing in specific mm -hmm. products mm -hmm. because they've just kind of chosen a very different path. Right. But those influencers are really good for creating ad campaigns yeah. or content where the brand will actually utilize their content, totally. buy usage rights, you know, extend it and distribute it in other avenues mm -hmm. versus the more sort of, again, basic influencers who are really good at converting, selling products, mm -hmm. like talking to their followers because their followers know their face, they know the real them, they follow every one of their breakups and they follow every one of their, like, you know, et cetera, all the things right. that are happening in their life. Right. Um, moving away, though, from, yeah. like, now brands. <laughs> no, 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 uh, really, really good information. Um Moving away from like yeah. brand partnerships, um, what about influencers launching products? Yeah. Like, what are some patterns you see amongst influencers who have successfully launched a product as opposed to not? Like, what are some words of caution? Yeah. Spill the details. Yeah, of course. So, when it comes to product, I mean, there's obviously a lot of different products an influencer can launch. Yeah. And there's a lot of different avenues as well on how you can essentially launch a product. Like, for example, you can invest and build your own brand, mm. you know, meaning that you can try to find a manufacturer who will manufacture your product. You can um, invest in creating the, the product yourself, and then you're responsible for distributing it mm. versus doing a licensing deal, for example, where, you know, you partner with the brand. Correct. You partner with the brand. They sort of license your name. You're licensing their name. It's mm. more of a partnership. There's like a rev share, et cetera, but usually the brand is putting up the costs mm. of, you know, sort of investing and building this out, whatever right. that looks like. Um, and then, of course, like there's the the different product categories mm. that you can launch, right, from jewelry to different types of beauty products mm. to like clothing and fashion, mm. right, or accessories mm. also. You can launch a handbag brand, et cetera, et cetera. So besides trying to understand which avenue you want to go in in terms of the type of deal that you want to make. And that's usually based on how you're also looking to distribute that product. So for example, if you are not able to sell product through your own platform, meaning that your own audience doesn't fully convert into you know the types of products that you want them to buy, but you fully stand behind, let's say, your idea or concept because it doesn't exist in the space, mm. right? You can partner with another brand or you can partner, let's say, with a retailer who will invest dollars to produce your part, your product and then distribute it. Mm. And then you're only making a smaller percentage of the sale versus, again, 
creating your own, finding a manufacturer, you know, and doing your own product launch, distributing it through your own channels. Right. So what we've seen and what I would suggest to anyone who's looking to launch any product, doesn't really matter what product, is trying to figure out what is that product you're looking to launch. Again, what makes that product different? Mm -hmm. You know, what are you launching in the space that doesn't exist or does it exist in the space now but maybe you're doing it better mm -hmm. or you're doing it in a more affordable way? Whatever that, that sort of looks like. I would suggest first starting to post uh, content around that product category. So for example, let's say you're looking to launch a jewelry line and you feel like, there isn't, you know, a fine jewelry company that creates gold diamond jewelry within the $150 to $250 price point. You're like, I'm going to own that category. Right. I would buy other brands or products that are, you know, a little bit cheaper or a little bit more expensive. Post about them and get feedback from your audience. Right. Both in terms of, you know actual feedback like do they like it do they not like it you know what are their thoughts on it and then see if you're actually able to sell or convert that product that will give you enough data that you can then use to go to a retailer or you know someone who does licensing deals and say look i can prove that x amount of my followers bought xyz product category within xyz you know, price point, mm -hmm. and I think that we can create this product within that price point because I have a proven track record of being able to sell similar product within that price point. Does that make sense? Yeah. That was a lot. Sorry. No. Um, right? So that is what I would do, and then obviously from there also, the, the larger mistake that I've seen made in the space is an influencer launches a product, no matter how they did it, no matter what the deal was, they launched a product that then competes with some of their sort of bigger brand partners. So for example, let's say you're a beauty influencer, right? And you're like, okay, I have enough data on my audience from years of creating beauty content, linking it to retailers and brands, you know, understanding what my conversion rate is for certain products, mm -hmm. I'm going to launch a beauty line. And let's say you launch a, I don't know, a lipstick line. It is possible that brands who have worked with you in the past who have paid for content will no longer work with you because you now have your own oh, lipstick brand. Line, yeah. And I think a lot of influencers don't fully grasp that idea. You know, really they, they want so desperately to have their own brand or their own name on a product that they don't understand that that could actually cost them a right. lot more than what their product line could make them today. You know, which is why I think launching a product at the right time is way more important than anything else. Really, really, really good tip because, yeah, you know, I think that everyone needs to be, yeah. I mean, that's not even something I thought of, you know, but I think that you do, yeah, you need to be smart when you launch, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, and yeah, you what you decide to launch. Yeah. Where, you know, there's been product launched from certain influencers where brands won't work with those influencers anymore because they're like, well, they're promoting their own line. Yeah. And like, we don't want to compete with their own line that's right. obviously getting significantly more share of voice, right? So it's just understanding 
who your biggest clients are from a brand perspective yeah. and understanding your audience and what they actually buy and trying to figure out what is that sort of product that doesn't alienate your current brand clients, yeah. that is something your consumers will buy, and then try to decide do you want to own 100% of the brand because you can actually distribute mm -hmm. you know, that product through your own channels and influence people to purchase it, or do you need a licensing type deal with another brand or another retailer? Yeah. Okay, well, I could keep talking to you forever, <laughs> but we're out of time. So before we wrap, tell everyone where they can find you. Uh, oh, you want to so social like the companies on Instagram obviously at social like co mm -hmm. I'm on Instagram but I don't think I've posted in like four months potentially no I think I posted a new year photo it's been a while okay. um, I'm Becca Alexander okay cool <laughs> awesome thank you so much Becca thank you <laughs>